Thank you for listening to All Things Big and Small, ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vollmerich. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. Welcome to ATBS, the podcast, all things big and small. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. The episode you're about to hear was recorded in early March of this year. And for that reason, there's not a lot of reference to what our global family has been experiencing over these past few months. And I thought I'd just mention that. My guest today leads his life through the guiding principles of doing good work for the world and including the world in the work. He's a full-time explorer who has a special gift of seeing the big picture, creating solutions around that picture, and communicating that picture in an accessible way to others. He's a disruptor who's led 37 global expeditions focused on accelerating the ocean's return to balance, abundance, by unlocking the life history puzzle of white sharks and other keystone species through expeditions aboard his ship, Osearch. His approach completely disrupts the research and policy process by making data collection and distribution collaborative, inclusive, and open source. He is a wonderful storyteller, a beautiful speaker, a great friend, and I think you're gonna like today's episode. I had a blast recording it. Thanks for joining us. Chris Fisher, welcome to the ATBS Podship. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to see you. For those of you who don't know, Chris and I have known each other quite a long time and, and share a passion for fishing and the outdoors and all sorts of stuff. What have you been up to lately? Oh, man, just got back from our 37th expedition and getting some time in with the kids. Great. Care of the land things. Yeah, right. Good man. As you spend enough time out there on the on the moving water, right? Yeah, it's good. You know, I get about 90 days a year on the water, you know, for work. Right. And then I'm trying to pick up a few more for fun, for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. We've had some trips of our own. Yes, we have. Yeah, good man. Okay, so O-Search. I'm very curious about a couple of things. Before you came in, I was thinking, you know, where did it start? Like, how did that, how did that come into being for you? I know a little bit of the story, but maybe start there and then how'd you wander into sharks? So I started uh, back in around 1998 working on the water. I was um, had a small family business we sold when I was 29, and I had to go back to work. I didn't know what I was going to do with the balance of my life because I thought I was going to work there forever. We started it when we were kids with our dad. Yeah. And so I started spending time on the water to think about what I wanted to do next because that was always where I found clarity, you know, passionate fisherman, right? Growing up in Kentucky, chasing fish and frogs around the woods. And then that migrated down to the Gulf of Mexico on holiday and just always found clarity on the water, place of peace. I would see amazing things and I would see some scary things while I was trying to think about, you know, what I wanted to do with my future. And, you know, some of it was like ghost gear with dead stuff wrapped up in it. Some of it, well, you know, you catch and release a striped Marlin, like, Oh my God, or an amazing sunrise or sunset. And, uh, 
I was amazed when I came back to the beach and I was talking to the people I was living in Southern California at the time. And, uh, people were like, Oh, whatever, man, you know, let's go out and have a drink or go to dinner. And I was just kind of like, why are, is everyone so disconnected to, to the ocean? I was like, why are people so disinterested or unaware about what's going on in the ocean? Why don't they care? I thought it was like, well, why do I care so much? And I thought back to my childhood and I, and I just was immediately a oh, Cousteau. Mm, right. You know, and not many people under the age of like 45 know who Jacques Cousteau was. It was indelible when it was on. I mean, on, it's just right? like, like an imprint on your life. Yeah, right. Right. Yes. Especially when you're just then running out and chasing fish and frogs all around on the water, right? And it was like the thing to aspire to. It was the ultimate part of, of a passion for the water from a creek yeah. to a pond, you know, to an ocean, to, you know, pushing the envelope on the ocean. It fascinated me. I loved it, right? But then Cousteau passed away and it all just kind of ended. Yeah, right. And then there was no one pouring the world's oceans into people's lives around the world at radical scale. Mm -hmm. There was no pipeline of the ocean into like massive awareness around the planet. I've never thought of it that way. And uh, I was young enough and young enough and, and dumb enough at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was 29 that uh, I set this noble goal. I was like, you know, I'm going to pour the world's oceans into people's lives at a scale unseen since Cousteau. Ballsy. Because if people don't know what's going on, how can they want to try to help fix it, right? And if we're going to leave an abundant planet for our kids, something we're proud of, it's going to take us all. So uh, that's, that was it, you know? I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? Well, the obvious place for me to start was uh, try to build a, a fishing show. Because I was a passionate fisherman, man. I fished a lot all over uh, when I was working and just wherever I was. So I started this show called Offshore Adventures. It was back on ESPN Outdoors on Saturday morning, you know, when that was the only place to watch fishing and hunting, kind of right. pre-internet. Yeah, right. It became one of the most watched shows of its time. It did quite well. And while I was doing that, I joined the board of the Billfish Foundation because I started to develop a little street cred in the space, like in the industry of fishing. I would go to these board meetings and the billfish scientists would come and tell us what they thought was going on with the billfish, like where are the billfish moving, how, you know, how, where do they migrate, where do they mate? And they didn't really know. One of the other things I felt was like, okay, this guy's been struggling to get out 10 tags for a couple of years. And, you know, in the last three months, we've released 40 black marlin. We could have got this guy's science handled like that. Right. Totally different perspective. Right. And it wasn't going to cost me any more money to throw a scientist on the boat while we were out shooting, making the show. And then I started to realize, oh, my God, the scientists, they have no boats, no money, and they don't know how to catch what they study. But without their peer-reviewed published paper, we can't manage the ocean so our great-grandkids can eat a fish sandwich. So I was like, sobering. oh, my God. We had, like... The, 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 the system of creating the data set of knowledge that we can manage with so that there is a future planet, the system designed to gather that data doesn't work. We don't have the data to make sure our kids can eat a fish sandwich in three generations, maybe two. And so I said, hey, man, I tell you what, you know, let's help speed things up a bit. Let's bring the, you know, some like world-class professional fisherman. Captain Brett McBride has been my captain since 20-some years from the very beginning. 
Early days. I mean, he's a beast waterman. He's the greatest waterman I know. I was like, we're, we're going to throw you when we in a bunk when we go out to make the shows. We'll do our little TV thing. And then, you know, you can come out and do it every science you need. Then we'll let the thing go because we, we had gotten real good at catching and releasing things because mm-hmm. that's what you do, you know, with most things other than like the one you want to take home to the family. And so uh, we started to speed up how fast they could collect the data to manage whatever they were studying. And all we did was bring the world-class practical together with the world-class academic. Seems obvious. It's like so obvious, right? But like, you know, you get these people in these different communities and the trick was to get everybody on a common vision with a selfless disposition. The whole trick was the fish sandwich. Like, do you want your great, great grandkid to eat a fish sandwich? Everybody in the world says yes, right? And then we're like, well, then drop all the bullshit, bro. And let's just get together some people and let's get it done. Right? Bring people together on a common vision for all of our grandkids. Right? Who doesn't want to be on that team? Right. Sign me up. Especially if you can do it and everyone can make a decent living. Right. That was the other thing I saw that was totally broken was like all the people that are supposed to help us do good for the future of the planet are not allowed to make any money. They're supposed to suffer if they want to do good. Like, well, how can you get the best people and the brightest people together? Um, I appreciate passion and I'm all about passion. But we got we need the best people in the world coming together to solve these fundamental questions and data sets that are required for the future abundance of the planet. Instead, we got those guys flipping widgets, making a billion bucks. Mm-hmm. And the people who are supposed to make sure our great-grandkids can eat a fish sandwich are suffering because they're, they're underpaid. They have no money, no capacity. Like, they're like, wow, is this place broken? You know, and not only that, within the system itself, the people were all competing against each other individually. The system is forcing the scientists to not collaborate, not open source, because they're all trying to get ahead of each other so they can publish and then get the next grant. So the whole system itself is so dysfunctional that it is an absolute certainty if we don't disrupt it, our kids will not eat fish sandwiches. It's simply moving too slow. Do you think now it's moving too slow? You're, I mean, you're in the game. You've been in the, you're talking is, about a story sti- from 25, No, it is still that ago. same way today, except for around O-Search in our space. And we are trying to prove the model and disrupt the whole house. Fantastic. Because we're learning so we're Look, if you get 30 scientists all collecting samples from one shark, Instead of each scientist having to go catch their one shark, which they'll never catch. They don't have the boat. They don't have the money and they don't know how. There's a problem. (laughs) So why not build big capacity and give it to them all instead of each one of them trying to build their own small capacity and never getting it done? Right. And then they can't they can't exercise their expertise. Right. They're focusing their energies elsewhere. Yeah. Just to make it. They're chasing fish around for years and they have no data. This is a really good time to encourage anyone who's listening. And, and if you are, I appreciate it. Osearch.org is where you want to go. And, and at this stage of the game, see what they're cruising around the oceans in and the equipment they're using. And, and there's a tremendous amount of information there. And we'll touch on it a couple of times. Osearch is O-C-E-A-R-C-H.org. 
Yeah. Um, I just want to put that in yeah. there because, you know, I mean, it says so that comes later, right? It's like, I, I got all, I get so pumped up about this stuff <laughs> that I, I'll go back to the story. Right. So we start this fishing show and I start helping the scientist and I start figuring out, man, I like helping the scientists more than making the fishing show. I really got into like making business and doing good. The doing good part felt way better than the making business part, but to be, you got to be able to make business, you know, you got to pay for the boat. Right. And not always easy. Not always easy. I gave everything, you know, yeah. that's a different type of conversation. A, yeah, I know, but they're... So uh, I started helping more and more scientists as we moved around. And around 2005, 2006, maybe 2000, early 2007, these scientists were all saying, man, thanks for helping us study this sailfish or this black marlin or this striped marlin, whatever the species was. But if we don't figure out this large shark thing, there's not going to be any marlin. There's not going to be any sailfish. That goes right to the apex predator. Right back to where we started. If you can't manage the wolves, you can't manage Yellowstone. You bring the wolves back, the abundance skyrockets, right? Yeah, we've seen that. And so in the ocean, the white shark is the wolf. Mm-hmm. Right? And we were down to 9% of our large sharks because of shark fin soup in China. Losing about a quarter million sharks a day. A hundred million a year. And so all of a sudden we're down, we very quickly go from uh, lots of sharks, you know, and in like a period of 15 years, we go down to like 9% of our large sharks. You know, they prevent the second tier of the food chain from kind of running amok and wiping things out. Like the deer was wiping out the forest. So you didn't have all the life that came with that. Balance is just disrupted. Right. So in the ocean, in the open ocean, when you lose the sharks, the squid migrate to the surface every night. And when the sharks are there, just their mere presence keeps the squid down, right? The presence of the apex predator. And so all of the fry can survive. Every baby tuna, every baby wahoo, every baby mahi, every baby billfish, everything we need to grow up to eat. When you remove the sharks, there's nowhere for them to hide. And the squid come out and wipe out all the fry. And there is no fish or fish sandwiches for our grandkids. And I don't think that's what people think when they think the oceans are being depleted. Like, that's not a picture that I, most people can see, right? You, you've seen it. You've done the work. You're out there. And oh, I didn't even know it at the time. No, of course not. Right. Right. And that's so, all they said. They said things like uh, when you go to a place where there's seals, like in Vancouver and in, in the North, British Columbia and in the Northwest and the Northeastern United States. In Nova Scotia, when the white sharks are present, the seals eat one-fourth as much each day as they do. Like one shark can swim up and down a beach and keep like 2,000 seals pinned on the beach. Because they know if they go out there, they might die. So if they go, they go because they're starving. They get a little bit and they jump out. If the white shark is not there, it is an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord. And there is no cod, no salmon, no lobster. They, I mean, they just wipe the place out. No stripers, no bait. And so I was like, oh, wow, man, you know, I didn't know about the shark thing. You know, <laughs> and at the time, you know, like when we were doing the kind of work we were doing, like you didn't go, sh- the people who went shark fishing are the people who don't know how to fish. Right. You know, like, and I go to Captain Brad, I'm like, man, this shark thing sounds bad. I think we got to try to at least help this guy. He says if he can get a tag on this thing, it'll be like a transformational breakthrough. What kind of boat were you running at this point? Uh, that was, we had shifted from a, uh, the, the, sh- the boat we were using for offshore adventures and I'd found a, a little mothership I was able to buy because a guy was kind of giving it away. So same mothership, 
now. The same mothership yeah, we yeah, have yeah. now. So you were, that's when you said to Captain Brett, like, we've got the equipment. That was in fall of 2007, and yeah. they'd been asking me about it. I didn't buy it for that. I bought it for a whole nother purpose, but it just so happened the lift on it that picks up boats on the deck could be modified, but I didn't see that in advance. And we were trying to make that whole thing work, and so we went out in uh, 2007 and we proved it was possible to capture these animals and lift them out of the water and give a scientist safe access to it. Mm -hmm. And he bolted that tag on its fin. Like, and it had been done before over the sides of boats, but then you can't place it exactly where you want it and you don't get nearly as much signals. And it was in the early days of those tags too. I don't think they had a good handle on, like they would send you a tag with stainless steel leads and no anti-fouling paint on it. You know, right. like, I'm like, dude, you need like one fisherman on your staff at the science. <laughs> they didn't know tag what they place. didn't know. That falls into that category. Yeah, we got like, just the thing you for make, you. You got to make these things copper, right? Because, you know, the switches won't work right. if they're stainless in the ocean for a long time. And if you don't put any anti-fouling paint on it, this thing's going to last like five, not five years, like, you know, five months. Right. I remember those early days when, when you first had the little mothership again, Check out the little mothership on osearch.org. I, I remember those days when you and Captain Brett and you, you like, it, it, I never got on the boat, but I got to believe it, it. It felt like the wild, wild west at times for you guys. I mean, just. Yeah. And the big difference was, you know, we had a kind of a traditional boat people are used to seeing people fish at, like a long range kind of West Coast style yacht fisher, which was cool, man. Yeah. I remember when we went on our first trip in like two, 1999 from. Newport Beach, California to Cabo San Lucas. And I had a 48 Viking at the time. And I'm always buying the old clunkers. These aren't the new shiny ones. I don't have that kind of dough. I remember when we made that first trip and I felt like we were going to drive off the edge of the earth. <laughs> like it was like, we're going down to Baja, man. It's like a thousand mile boat ride. Right. And it was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, and uh, adventuring. You really felt like you were, you know, back then, it, even in the early 2000s, it, and not like the guys in the 80s, but it felt like, you know, you're getting out there and then you would, you know, stop in Cabo and you had a lot of support there. You could do it. And then up into the Sea of Cortez and all that. And, it, you know, and now the ship's moving all over the world all the time. It's like, wow, crazy evolution of things. And uh, so I, we caught that shark and he put the tag on it and I looked down, I'm like, I totally botched up one of my parents' life lessons at the dinner table. They're like, you always got to live in the biggest room in the world. <laughs> and if you live in the biggest room in the world, you can make anything happen in your life, right? Do you know what the biggest room in the world is? No, what's the Fundamentally big? important. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. People had said it was impossible to do what we were going to do before we went out. There was no book on how to do it. It hadn't been done. You know, and we were going right into the land of the giants. You know? I mean, truly uncharted territory. Yeah. I had let the veil of impossibility. I, I should have known we were going to go get one and made a plan to maximize that opportunity. Mm -hmm. We got one and I looked down and all we did was one thing. And I, the scientists, I'm like, I need 15 more smart people here right now. Data deficit is and time is our biggest challenge in the, for the ocean. And that's when I learned, like, these scientists don't work together. He's like, no, no, we can't do that. I'm trying to get ahead of all those people. So I get the next grant. Right. And it wasn't, he wasn't a bad guy. That was just like the system, the game he had to yeah, play. that's the game you got to roll. That's the way our system is set up right now. Yeah. 
And I said, oh, man, well, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, best I can tell my guys laid their body parts on the line and we picked up the bill. So we're next trip. We're inviting everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I remember those days, too. And that didn't go over very well. Right. Didn't go over very well because they just had never collaborated. They'd never cross-pollinated. So they were then concerned and confused about that. So they immediately went into undermine mode. Defend our turf at all costs. And but take advantage of the opportunity. Well, um like were they participating and feeling that way or they hadn't those even gotten were the, to that point? No, yet? those were the ones that were the most closed off. I mean, come on, we, there was a lot of senior people that are like, Yeah, man, we'll collaborate. You know, there was like those are your thought leaders and also a lot of the young people, because that's just like the way it is, right? It was just kind of this band that's a lot of influence in the space right now, age band. And hang on, right? Like Holding on for their dear life. They would rather prevent learning unless the learning is done by themselves in a given space. But then say our biggest challenge to making sure our kids can eat a fish sandwich is data deficit and time. So it's like grossly inefficient, right? Everybody's working individually. They can't develop any capacity. They can't get the data we need to manage. And so we just started evolving and inviting more and more people. And in the first five, seven years, we're a brutal battle for survival mm-hmm. battle financially battle politically the academic system itself like a lot of great collaborators starting to build the team but a few big time old schoolers doing everything they can to undermine brutal mm-hmm. ruthless yeah and we had to endure that so now you know we just finished our 37th expedition it was this natural evolution of things we leveraged television at first to fund it we sold 30 hours to National Geographic and 10 hours to History Channel, sold about $20 million in TV, took $10 million to fund the ship and give it to the scientists and use the other $10 million to make the show, making business, doing good, just starting to scale it up, right? Remember the original noble goal. Yeah. We knew we had to build a global brand if we were going to ever pour the world's oceans into people's lives at a scale that exceeds Cousteau. So we go from this kind of ESPN, really niche fishing, small audience, cool space, great companies in that space. And then um, we, we go up to kind of the National Geographic, and then we did 30 hours there and 10 hours on the History Channel. And that really helped our global reach to help build the global brand. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, they didn't renew the show. That was the era of like reality TV. Yeah, right. You know, I and they're looking for. They want know, a storyline. They line want people to fight they, or yeah, someone right. gets fired right. or the drug addict, you know, has right. to go away. Right. You know, divert our attention from what we're really doing. You know, yeah. What you're really yeah. Doing. And we were, we were in for the long pull, man. You know, so we didn't want to do anything stupid to like spike mm-hmm. our scale because then that just fades away. Right. There's this really smart lady at uh, Molly Corderas was her name. And I was getting ready to do CBS this morning and they came out on the ship and I did a lot of stuff with them as we built up towards 60 minutes, which we've done recently. But Molly Corderas, she told me this, and she probably doesn't even know this. She told me, she's like, Hey man, I love what you're doing. The slow build is the only build that endures. Molly. Molly. <laughs> Thank you, He's Molly. Like, don't do anything stupid, bro. You got a good thing going here. Right. Be patient, you know? And that really stuck with me. And so when TV was evolving at 12, and we didn't want our brand to roll into, I think, what really would have been successful on television at the time. 
So it, the, the thing ended. And that was like the second time I thought I was going to lose the ship in my house and everything. Yeah, I mean, it was show to show. It everything was, it was, was gig oh, to gig. I mean, I had times, I remember when we first sold the first episode to National Geographic, I was tapped out because of the cost of running the ship and we couldn't close a gig that we thought we were going to do. And, and I remember laying in that bed in the basement of this wonderful lady Maureen Lemire, who was one of the EPs of Planet Earth. So I'd, I'd asked her to help us. And she got us. So I couldn't get a meeting. I was like the idiot fishing TV guy, right? <laughs> They're filmmakers there. They're filmmakers. Yeah, you right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they, I couldn't get a meeting. So I called and hired a filmmaker, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then she picked up the phone and we got a meeting with the boss man like the next day. And then she helped craft our story. Yeah. I flew there and had so little money. I slept in her basement. And I remember watching that little teaser over and over and over again. I'm like, if we don't sell this tomorrow, let's go home and lose the house and the ship. Everything. Shut it down. We sold it, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then we had another three years of life. You know, I've had a few of those little things. And and when we left television in 2012, it was another like, oh, my God, the ship is expensive, just tied up at the dock. It was funny. We tagged this fish, a big fish. It was the first time we'd worked off Massachusetts. Big female named Mary Lee. Named her after my mom because I thought it was going to be the last shark I ever touched. I literally thought I was going home and it was over because the show had been canceled. I had like, I told the guys I'm going to try to make something happen. I got like enough money to pay the bills for three months. So I'm going to try to sell something. And you let them know that? Yeah. I think that's a lesson that like in this whole story or in this part of the story, that's a really important business lesson. I think from my perspective is look folks, you know, when things get tough and and I don't think it's always the case that the people who you're relying on and who are relying on you know what's going on. Yeah. Right. They know you're, you're going to go out there and and you're going to put forth your best effort to make this thing roll. Yeah, and we and we pulled it off a few times. You yeah, know? yeah, but I think you know once you get down to a certain point, I'm not talking about when you have a bigger horizon and business. You know, business you didn't close an order or get a gig, but right. you got months to sell another one before it's a problem. But when you get down, people need to be able to prepare their lives. You know, you know, right. if you love them, you love them. Yeah, but also that also speaks to the passion, right? You obviously very passionate, a human, very passionate about. A lot of things, certainly fish, right? And not just these fish, Abundance, not just the big yeah. fish and not just one or the, the experience of, of fooling one and, and landing one, mm-hmm. whatever species it is, right? It's so far beyond that. Yeah. That's where the passion began. Though. Yeah. So they feel the passion. Yeah. And they'll stick with you right to the, right to the bitter end, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaks a lot to you, my friend. Yeah, I mean, you know. know, Doesn't happen by accident. It's hard, you know. A lot of times on the ship, trying to hold it myself together, like on the phone, making plans for a disaster. Yeah. While I'm, you know, kind of facing away from the guys on a little 30-foot boat with a 4,000-pound shark here, hoping it'll swim by. Maybe we can make something happen. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, to help people understand why this matters. But at that point, it's survival, right? Like oh, it's, yeah. it's Chris Fisher, oh, search. It's your, it's your dream, yeah, right? Of globally, you know, back to Jacques Cousteau, and let's let's get the word out, right? So there you are, like, mm, right yeah. up against it. And so th- that was the only time we caught that shark named Mary Lee after my mom. No, my, 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 my parents are amazing, right? That's a whole other combo. Yeah. I hope many people out there have had an opportunity to have parents like mine. 
you know, they, they provide a platform from which to leap that makes you feel like nothing's impossible. Yeah. That's, and that's a, well, what a gift that is. Yeah. Man. That's a gift. That's the space most people don't even yeah. have an opportunity to spend any time in. Right. That's an incredible gift. And so I named that shark Mary Lee and it was the only time in my life I took a picture of the ship when I went to the airport because I thought I would never see it again. Mm -hmm. And then Mary Lee swam down the East Coast of the United States, man, and lit the place up like she loved the beaches and the rivers and the estuaries. And the entire eastern seaboard fell in love with Mary Lee, the 4,000 pound, 18 foot great white shark. Beautiful. And this guy started a Mary Lee the Shark Twitter handle. <laughs> and we call the guy. We're like, hey, man, this is cool. We like what you're doing. Can we collaborate so you're on message, on brand? And then she exploded to like 180,000 Twitter followers. And every news outlet on the East Coast told the story of Mary Lee every time she was in front of any town, city, or county. Right. I right. Mean. And then that story then goes viral. Because the shark story always works for every media outlet worldwide, and they're all jonesing for content. Always has. This is the too. true definition of content is king, right? Yeah, yeah. Put the sharks Here's on. Here's the giant white shark. Oh, and yes, we're trying to figure out where she's mating and giving birth so that our kids can eat fish sandwiches, right? Well, we've got your attention. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid. Like, hope we do good here. Yeah. You know, help. Yeah. And uh, we were doing 40 million viewers a year. Roughly on, you know, National Geographic and the History Channel. And in one quarter, Mary Lee swam down the eastern seaboard of the United States and drove like 1.1 billion earned media digital impressions. <laughs> like, oh my God, man. <laughs> what just happened? That's a ticket. And That's so, a and so here's what's interesting. What happened was when we were, sh when we shot, uh, you know, I took a, like a skeleton crew of people out there cause I didn't have any money to pay for filmmakers while we were on our last trip, basically. And, um, all the news people came out because what happened on that last trip, because when we were making the TV show, we couldn't invite any media out because they didn't want anyone to know what happened because they didn't want to scoop the series. You yeah, had to watch right. it eight months later. Right. So no one knew on our last trip when we went down to Cape Cod and we caught Mary Lee. I was like, hey, man, it's our last trip. Invite everybody. Invite <laughs> the school kids. Invite, you know, anybody who wants to come out like a policymaker. Invite the press. Hmm. You know, and I want the bartender from town out here too, the biggest bar in town. Cause you know, if we catch a giant one out here and something happens, I don't want any wacky stories in the bar like 15 years from now. <laughs> so I, I want witnesses. Let's get the story straight. I, well, this is legit. I want witnesses, you know? <laughs> and so all of the press came like, oh my God, ABC, NBC, BBC. I mean, pick an acronym. I mean, yeah. and uh, because they'd never been invited before. Hmm. Who knew? <laughs> Easy. <You know? laughs> and, and a lot of them were there when we didn't catch a shark, right? We went on like a 25-day expedition. We caught two mm -hmm. and we were thrilled. Yeah. So we said, don't worry. If we get one, we'll send you the, the footage. And since I thought it was our last trip, I remember saying to my guys, I'm like, hey, look, make sure you get the brands kind of organically in the imagery here of whatever you're going to send them. Let's give these guys one high five on the way out, man. Right. Companies like Yeti and Costa, they've been funding us for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. Back when they were small companies, you know. Give them some love. Yeah. There's one last thought. And then all of a sudden we drove 1.1 billion earned media impressions and their brands were I'm like, oh my God, we can leverage the media as a content distributor because we got the content. We got the shark. So I was able to be like, I, I looked at the team and I said, hey, I know this just happened to us. We had this huge boost in exposure and earned media. 
let's understand exactly why that happened so that instead of it happening to us, we can make it happen. You know, we can figure out why this happened and then how it happened and then build around that. And so I got to be honest with you, here's another story, you know, like Caterpillar came in and we, we had just had this big thing with Mary Lee. And again, I was fuming out of cash down to the last dollar. And I went to Caterpillar, man. And Caterpillar said, man, we love what you're doing. There's obviously some things we can do. You know, we want to help the ocean. We're working on the ocean. And they gave us a three-year full sponsorship. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> now I got three years to figure this out. Yeah. It's really funny as you tell these stories because they're, they're these milestones in our relationship or, or times in our relationship when we, we've been together when this stuff's been happening. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was all going down you know, when we were steelheading together. And out at the river property. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, right? <laughs> Working on a small scale in a, in a local environment. And, and then these things. I remember when Caterpillar came around. You had three years of, three years of runway. Yeah. And I tell you, man, it was amazing that they did that. Yeah. They really helped. Yeah. They made a big difference. And it's going to make a big difference for the future of the ocean long term. And so we were able to to then, you know, pivot to this kind of the sponsors would instead of giving money to the TV network, they would give money to us. We would organically integrate their product into all of our content. And the content was viral. Mm-hmm. Had virility. Right. You know, and it drove earned media space. And earned media is worth twice as much as uh, paid media. And so we started driving like $70 million a year of earned in digital media. I was only really able to monetize that to the tune of about 2 million bucks a year. I've never, I can't, I haven't been able to convert it, but it's, I'm starting to understand how it's getting ready to convert now. Mm-hmm. If we talk a little bit about the business side of things. Right. So then we were able to, you know, Costa came in, Costa was always there. Yeti was always there. Caterpillar came in huge for three years. Then we had, you know, then when their, their deal sunsetted, you know, we were able to get the sea worlds of the world. And now, you know, we have our own Shark Tracker Light Lager, our ocean bourbon. We have a whole e-com platform and the licensing of, you know, we have our own line of Costa O-Search sunglasses and seeing eyeglasses because people, when they buy it, they've helped fund research. Yeah. But so that's like the evolution of TV to like corporate sponsorship. Right. Mm-hmm. And now what's interesting to see is. You know, I said we, you know, we could only monetize about two million of this seventy million. And earn. what I realized at the time is we were building this powerful global brand. Mm-hmm. And then I had to start looking. Oh, I got another story popped into my <laughs> mind. I should tell it. I'd never tell it. Oh yeah, you should. So I'm like, Costa comes to us, and and you know they're all worried about the sponsorship checks, and they're like, Hey, can we do something different? And I, and I was like, How about we cut the sponsorship in half, and we make a co-branded line of Costa Search sunglasses. And, you know, we just get like a license, 8%, no limit on the upside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll take the quarter million dollar risk, right? This goes back to the family business, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> a lot was learned back there. And so I was like, we need to see if all these people we keep saying that are our tribe, you know, are, are really our tribe. You know, I, you know, you get these metrics and you have these numbers and and you don't really understand what they mean, you know? And so anyway, we do this line of co-branded stuff. And this year we sold just under 200,000 units of co-brand. Because people are like, I need a pair of glasses. Oh, I'm going to buy that one. It's funding research. That one's not. Yeah. And that's a world-class pair of glasses. Right. You know? And if you, I mean, people like to feel good, right? Like well, how, we're how going to spend I, the money anyway. Right. How can so I help? you know what that does that's radical? That turns everybody into a lifelong philanthropist. 
Imagine the power of that. Right. Right? Yeah. And so we start to see this license. So now it's pivoting to where our real future and to monetize that gap and build the global mosquito fleet to supplement what we're doing now is going to be with licensing relationships. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about the size of the shark space, suddenly we're like the world leader in the great white shark research space. Suddenly, as in 25 years later? Uh, you know, you know uh, or tw- 20. 20 years. Yeah. Right? That's the other thing. Oh, suddenly. But I wasn't, right? I didn't have a diabolical plan, bro. Like no, I didn't see I that a long time. I was just trying to make business and do good and stay alive, you well, know, and an, think big. And it's an example of, uh, you know, oh, that's unexpected. Like we don't know. We, we looking out into the future, you know. Like okay, what what can we expect? Well, you, you can't see twenty years down the road. No, and you got to always. Heck, you don't know what's going to happen three one year, but three years for yeah, sure. Right. Stay in the stay in the present and and keep look reaching. Forward. Yeah, keep, keep an inch is a cinch. Right? A yard is hard. It's another Georgeism. <laughs> just keep inching forward, man. Yeah, right. If you're always just moving. You know, uh, an inch is a cinch. A yard is hard. <laughs> yeah, don't you know? get paralyzed. Yeah, right? like, and have grit. Yeah, endure. So funny story about the licensing thing. So I did that. And then I'm like, man, we need a license more. Like, this is awesome. We ended up getting more money in the aggregate. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our people, our tribe does want to help. They're tracking the sharks. Their kids are using the curriculum. They're watching the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. If I need a cooler, I'm going to buy a Yeti. They're funding O-Search. If I need a pair of glasses, I'm going to buy the Costa O-Search glasses and fun research. They're good glasses and the best glasses and the best cooler anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Those companies know. Costa knows if the ocean's not full of fish, nobody's going to need $250 pair of sunglasses. Mm -hmm. They actually do good while they make their product. Yeti knows if the forest is not full of game, nobody's going to need $300 cooler. Mm -hmm. Long term, right? Right. And, and so these companies want to make business and do good and because it's in their best business interest to do so. It's actually in every business interest to do so, every, yeah, but right. they just can't see it. But mm-hmm. that's another conversation. But I don't know anybody in licensing. This was just like an organic thing that happened with like the greatest partner you could ever have, Costa yeah. Sunglasses, right? I'm like licensing. Like I get so pissed, right? I'm trying to figure out this licensing thing, calling agents and and on they, you know, and trying to figure it out. And I, I bump, I'll do this thing with Guy Harvey down at SeaWorld in Texas, and he's like, man, you know, it's all about you know, distribution. You need to have like a professional person do this. And, you know, there's no way you're going to go out and put, you know, put together like the toy ship with a, you know, target and have the giant you yeah. know, thing. And, and I was like, you know what? You're right. I mean, like, I don't I'm like, I grew up in Kentucky chasing fish and frogs around the woods. <laughs> right. And so you're not going to believe, but I did go to Indiana University Business School. And so I'm watching Shark Tank and I'm like, these guys are doing all these licensing deals because they know everybody. Right. They, they put people together. Right. They build a team. And so I'm like, but I'm not going on Shark Tank, man. I'm way past that kind of crap, you know, <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself. And then I'm like, oh, man, Cuban went to Indiana University's business school. And so did I. So I just go on the Internet and I'm like, how do you email Mark Cuban? <laughs> and I get mcuban at dallasmavs.com. Thank you. And so I email him and my subject is like, you want to make business and do some good at the same time? <laughs> and then I told him the little story about what happened with Costa sunglasses and that thing just exploding. The guy emailed me back in less than 24 hours or one of the people who works for him. He's like, you know, man, Chris, this is awesome. Go Hoosiers. But Damon John is your guy for this. He has a whole licensing group and he copied Damon John. Nice. <laughs> nice. And so, uh, 
then those guys reached out to us within a 24 hours again. And we just signed a contract now that Damon John and his, his actual licensing group is called the Shark Group. Of course um, it is. Yeah, yeah. right. It's taken on the O-Search brand. And so now the thinking is bigger. You know, how do we get Mattel with Target, which is going to radically expand our capacity to make global impact? But that, this is a kind of a discussion. So all that gap, I think, from the $2 million we were able to monetize to the seven was actually brand building that's probably going to come back. Suddenly we have a massive global brand and we weren't even trying to monetize it. Yeah. And here you have a shark space. Think about the size of a shark swag space. It's got to be like five to $10 billion a year. I mean, the shark lunchbox, the shark t-shirt, the shark sheets, the rubber shark, the toy ship shark, the shark <laughs> shop glass. I mean, it's crazy, right? You put a shark on something, you walk into Target right now, they'll have 10 different shark shirts. Right. Why the fascination? Apex Predator, scary? Yes, I think Apex Predator. Yeah, Jaws. Yeah, but you know, when you're a kid, it's always sharks and dinosaurs. Yeah, right. That's just how it is. Yeah. But we weren't even in that space. And here we are leading... Not only from a scale size, but from a science side, like way ahead, way faster, collaborative teams, 30 scientists on every shark, not one mm. who doesn't even you know, may or may not get one. So I'm really excited because then you just step back into these bigger thinkings and you're thinking about this old grant space and you're trying to disrupt the space and get past this collaborative, but you're smaller and they're old. And so it's hard to change. And you're proving this new disruptive model to actually fund it. Well, what you've done is from evolving from a TV executive deciding if it's funded to then a corporate person deciding if it's funded, you actually have all the people deciding if they want to fund some work for the future of their own grandchild by how they buy the stuff they need anyway. <laughs> Takes Chris Fisher to bring it together. Right. <laughs> right. And then it in, brings, it brings, you know, Broad it democratizes thinking. the space. Right. It's the democratization of the ocean research funding model. Beautiful. That's what it is. Instead of the ivory tower deciding who, what academic institution they're going to. <laughs> Don't even get me going. <laughs> who gets the funding? Hey, look, there's a lot of great ones. I just, you know, it's kind of more entertaining convo, right? I mean, like <laughs> some of these guys are my blood brothers now. Yeah. But I'm talking about the ones that, you know, aren't, don't want to collaborate, don't want to be yeah. inclusive. So I get really pissed because I, I, I can't figure out why they don't want to pursue the fish sandwich. Right. So suddenly, you know, it was uh, by the people for the people, right? Like people could buy stuff they needed and fund the work. And then they're tracking the sharks at osearch.org or on the, you know, the app, the osearch app. And they're tracking the sharks in real time because we, the whole idea, oh my God, we didn't even talk about when I told open source data in 2012. <laughs> they thought I was insane. That's another conversation. You know, I was like, no, man, this is like, it's going to take us all. When we started the global shark tracker, that was like, not supposed to do that. Right. And, and look how many people followed along. And, and, and yeah. that's the, one of the big goals, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's accomplishing one of your big inclusion. Goals. Yeah. Inclusion, collaboration, one of our core values, cross pollination. Let's. Yeah. It's going to take us all, man. Fish sandwiches. It's just, it's really, it's a fish sandwich, man. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was cool because then, you know, the, the families could watch the O-Search YouTube channel and see all the science and see everything in real time because we're, you know, shooting it and pushing it out in real time. When we catch one, sometimes we'll stream it and they can watch it come in and watch the scientist. Right now on the North Atlantic Collaborative Team, we have 30 scientists doing 20 research projects on every single shark. From 20 different research institutions. Bravo. 
I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. 60 papers now either published or, you know, in process. That. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, we're going to, it's the hilarious thing about this is because, you know, we, we built the enterprise and we helped collect the data, right? We were bringing the world-class fishermen scientists together, right? So I'm a co-author on all these papers. <laughs> Look for Chris Fisher in your <laughs> yeah, academic yeah, papers. It's crazy, man. <laughs> I love it. So then, you know, right now, I think, it, you know, we should give people a little bit of sharks, but thanks for letting me get that kind of. Oh, man. I, I think... Some of the nuances that I've never told before about the journey. There's a lot more, but, you know, and I also thanks for letting me talk about the enterprise side. Sure. Because if you can't get like, I feel like we're exploring in business models, exploring in social business models in the area of connectivity, content creation and open sourcing. When we saw what Mary Lee did, we were like, oh, yeah, we just need to Googleize the approach to ocean research. I mean, think about those guys. They built a product and they gave it away. Mm -hmm. They didn't monetize the product. They built the product. They gave it away. They created radical scale and they monetized the scale, not the product. So I'm like, Googleize it. Give everything away. Give the data, a, you know, share the data, share the content, give it to, you know, and just kapow. And it, you know what? And, and there was a moment I was watching the Emmys one year, and you know that Dallas Buyers Club, that guy with the long hair who won Best Supporting Actor. Oh yeah. He walked out and he handed the lady who was interviewing him his Emmy, <laughs> and she was like, "Oh my God, I've seen you passing your Emmy around. I, I can't believe how much you're giving it away." He goes, "Well, you got to give it away if you want to hold on to it." And I was like, that's it. Like I had been thinking about this kind of confusing thing. I hike a lot and think a lot. And it's like this big kind of, you can't quite see through it. And then someone says something and you're like, that's how you break all that, that you got to give it away if you want to hold on to it. And then I just went in the office the next day. I'm like, we're giving everything away. <laughs> and, and my accountant at the time, he's like, Chris, you just built this app and we can't even pay the bill. You should charge people like a dollar, you know, if they want. I'm like, no, I don't really know how it's going to work out, but we got to give it away. You know, and of course, because we gave it away, we had millions of people on it right over a dollar to been nothing. Yeah. Inclusion. The concept of open sourcing the data was another fun bump in the road for a different conversation. But so right now, here we are, you know, slam pow, you know, 20 years later, mm -hmm. and we just finished our 37th expedition and we're right in the middle of solving the North Atlantic white shark life history puzzle. So this is a puzzle or a data set that's fundamentally important to the entire Eastern seaboard, right? If the white sharks are rolling on the East coast, like the wolf in Yellowstone, our kids are going to eat fish sandwiches. We started working on the project back in 12, tagged a few animals. Then we moved around the world, helped some other people. And now we came back and I came back and I learned a lot of things on the science journey, right? I'm not a science guy, mm -hmm. but like you go help people and they get all these partial projects going and you get them going all over the world. And until you come back and help them finish, they can't really finish mm. unless you get them enough while you're there in one shot, which we do some of the time. But when you're talking about things like the North Atlantic white shark, you're talking about a five-year, 15-expedition, $10 million project. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen in a day. I mean, no one had ever done it before in 2012 <laughs> when we got the first two. And then those sharks, we, we tracked them, and we got two... We have three over the next year. So we had five female white sharks tagged. And when we went around the world for, with Caterpillar for a few years, when we came back... And those sharks, it cost us two and a half million dollars to tag those first five sharks. But then we looked at their tracks and where they went. And with the next two and a half million dollars, we tagged 27. 
that's what being a fisherman is about right totally, there, right there right? like yeah, it is, you're yeah. a fisherman and have been since the get-go as you well, said in Brett Kentucky. too man like he's like, the beast man right. in that space but yeah like i'm into it but not like him. right so so you figure out where those whatever by whatever method yeah know, no different than standing out on a, on a stream looking for trout whatever you've got available to you to figure out where they might be yeah and you put it to you've put it to damn the hardest use. one is the first one yeah, right because right. then they start to show you where other ones are yeah right we have now, I think, about 55 white sharks tagged on the east coast of the United States. And it was interesting because Mary Lee led us to the southeastern United States. Mm. We didn't expect that. Now we know all of these sharks are overwintering off the southeastern United States. We didn't know that in 2012. But she took us down there and people were like, there's no white sharks in uh, Florida. <laughs> and I was like, man, I, you know, I don't know. We got one 4,000 pounder down there right now, you know. And what was funny about that is she- Hopefully not the Lone Ranger. Well, what really happened was like, Mary Lee triggered the whole thing when she swam right, right under the pier of the Jacksonville beach pier. I was here in park city. It was like a blizzard one night in the winter. Mm -hmm. She pings in on the beach. And it's the first time it happened since the tracker was up. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had to call somebody. Yeah. So I pick up the phone. I call the Jacksonville beach police department. I'm like, Hey man, I don't really know what to do. This is going to be the craziest phone call you've ever got in your life. <laughs> but I got a 4,000 pound white shark on a surf spot. And it's like two hours before dawn there. I felt like I had to call. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So they went, they saw, I sent them the tracker. They saw it. They went, they closed down the beach. Then Mary Lee, like three, four hours after dawn, pinged in three, four miles away. They took the signs down. People went back to surfing and the whole thing exploded. I bet. So she was one of those sharks. And then we, she took us down there. We tagged a shark named Lydia right at the mouth of the St. John's River mm -hmm. in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. And she didn't go back to Massachusetts. She went to Canada. So we were wondering, is this going to be like the West Coast of the United States where you kind of have the Farallons and Guadalupe and then this place they share in <laughs> yeah, the wintertime? Right. But we didn't know where the second place was then. But that was the first clue. Mm -hmm. And so then we went back up. To, we, you know, tagged a few more, a couple more the next year and and then tagged this shark when we came back from around the world named Hilton. And he didn't go to Massachusetts. We tagged him off Hilton Head. He went to Canada. Hmm. And so we've gone from thinking there was this Massachusetts thing, and we now know that those sharks, these, these sharks aren't sexually mature till they're 20. So they got to live 20 years. And we were able to track Mary Lee into where we thought the birthing area was. And then we went and caught the babies. We cut tagged 19 of them and let them go. And now we know the nursery is from Long Island to South Carolina. And we know the months they move through there. We believe we know now where they're mating. I just got some new science. It's a little premature. It's not where we thought it was. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this whole Canadian puzzle open up. So these sharks are aggregating off of Massachusetts region and then a lot in Nova Scotia and some in Newfoundland in the fall and early winter. Then when the water gets cold up there, they slide down off the southeastern United States. Some of them wrap around Key West and it's up as far as New Orleans mm -hmm. and then back. So that's the full range of the North Atlantic white shark. And they go north of Nova Scotia all the way up into Brunswick and the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And so, and through the Bahamas and by Cuba and, uh, they, li they like a little variety. Yeah. So it was at least right. the first time we even know who needs to be involved in the conversation to manage them. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't, right. we didn't even start? know who to bring to the party. Right. Cause if you save them in one area and they're whacking them in another area, if you don't know their full range, you have no shot at managing. Right. We got that. Yeah. And we found the birthing area with Mary Lee. We've defined the nursery and now we've got this whole new part of the puzzle opening up in Nova Scotia. 
And so we're trying to get a handle on where the Nova Scotian white shark might be giving birth. Is it different than the Massachusetts white shark or is it the same region and other regions of the world? We found more than one birthing area from these Mm -hmm. separate populations. So, uh, I mean, look, we're going to win this one, baby. Like we are trending the right way on the East Coast. Uh, I think the East Coast is the model for the world when it comes to fisheries management. There's more fish now than there were when we were kids on the East Coast of the United States. And it's an exciting time. But the problem is, is when you leave here, it's a disaster. Can we stay here for one second? A really good time to just reiterate why the white shark and what that information does for us. I mean, fish sandwiches, right? Like, yeah, and, and that's the simple answer. This is a human health program. Right. And, and those, you know, they, we're talking about the apex predator, not for us, by the way, because there's just a ton of, you know, there's fear out there. But what you're doing by sharing and, and opening it up, because I think in general, we as humans, you know, the unknown can be scary. The known far less. Yeah. Right. In most cases. No, we knew we had to undo it, everything that Jaws did. Right. On this journey. Right. And that's just by exposing people to the science and saying, look, this, these sharks move 100 miles a day. Yeah. Jaws could never happen. Like the thing's 300 miles away from where it was three days ago. Yeah. You know, for the most part, they, they mill around in areas where there's seals for certain seasons. So it's not exactly that clear, but we had to undo what Jaws did. And we did that just with trying to turn fear into fascination and open source and being inclusive. Yeah. Come on in, man. Let's, let's look, we got to figure this out for all of us. So let's all figure it out together. And the O-Search app is just go on the app store and get the O-Search app, guys. Yeah. I mean, it's it's simple, right? Like, there's a tremendous amount of information. Why? It's open sourced, right? It's, yeah. it's available. Yeah, it's, you can track white sharks in real time. Just that's cool. Yeah, yeah. right. Great. You know? So that's where you go find that. And you can find the educational curriculum. You know? So what happened? We, we open sourced this on the East Coast and all the kids start tracking the sharks. I go speak at this third grade classroom in Jacksonville. And I walk in and there's like a full size thing of Mary Lee on the wall. And they're learning how to measure Nice. And they got a map and they're tracking her and they're learning geography. I'm like, what's up with this? She goes, I can't get my kids focused on science and math and stuff, but they love to track the sharks. So I'm leveraging the sharks to teach them science and math. <laughs> like, brilliant, right? Like, so smart. I'm like, do you mind if I like bum this from you and try to scale it? And then we've been able to go out now. We have 100 lesson plans K through eight, all integrated into the real time tracking of the shark. So like, it's way cooler to do a, a math problem on how far a shark moved in a day from Charleston to Savannah. Then like Bob got on the train in Philly, you know, right? <laughs> Bob got off the train. And Joe, and got, and Joe yeah. got on the train in, in yeah. Chicago. You know, how long did the train ride take? <laughs> Dynamic data sets. Look, I think it's the future of education. Like people should be every single stat from every sport should be available into an educational curriculum. So a kid in Atlanta can do his math problems on the star Atlanta Hawks guards performance from the night before. Right. Interesting. He would be loving math then, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's so obvious. We had the shark. Like, my whole plan was like, man, we need to like real time, edu- like dynamic data sets. Like the same math problem is a different problem every day. Mm-hmm. Now we got your interest. You know, right now you can keep the interest. Of I was not able people. to scale it to that level yet. But right now, you know, it's we got the ocean kind of, you know, and it's a next generation science standard curriculum. It's the most forward approval you can get these days oh search stem curriculum yeah yeah yeah. that's on the website and it's available in 250 languages in in the english and metric system so it's used worldwide go use that go check that out so um and it's free just download it (laughs) so anyway it's really evolved into into trying to to build an enterprise right that can endure past anyone's uh lifespan 
right? To build an enterprise that has its own cash flow mm. and it's by the people for the people. And so that's why now you see, so the future, our academic home of O-Search is now Jacksonville University. City of Jacksonville is building us a facility for the permanent home of O-Search and a shark center. So really starting to try to get the business model in order, as well as the institutional support in order to maintain the same model and have it be able to fund itself because it's actually by the people for the people (laughs) instead of the kind of grant game or the donation game. Thank you you for that. Yeah. So that's kind of what's really where we're at now. We're going to solve this puzzle in the Atlantic, probably in the next, I'd say six expeditions, maybe a little more. It depends on how many we get. And if we get the right profile of shark. Can I jump in for a second? As you've been rolling along super passionately and sharing this spectacular journey that you've been on, I was thinking at one point, you know, the amount of time like, oh, well, we'll do, you know, we'll catch that one on the way. As you said, we got that one on the way back from, you know, the other side of the world and and you tag that fish. Like these expeditions don't happen overnight. They don't happen all the time. They're, they're big expeditions. We do three 25 day expeditions a year, a year. Right. So, so that's, that's a rapid pace of exploration. Yeah. Most people, you know, a scientist might try to get out on a boat and maybe only be able to go once every couple of years. There's no money and no boat. Yeah. And what it allows us to do, right? This is what's really changed it. The collaborative aspect of all the scientists around the shark, the practical and the academic colliding at a high level, but also a capacity, a vessel to create the data, see the data develop, and then chase the data. Mm. Not be like, oh, well, maybe in five years we should go down and see why Mary Lee was off Jacksonville. No, no, there's no time, man. This is not something to be taken casually. We're talking about fish sandwiches for our kids. We have to expect a win. We have to operate with a sense of urgency and we got to be efficient. And so when she goes down there and they didn't know that, I'm like, we got to go. And then we catch a shark and it goes to Canada. Oh, we're we're in Canada now. There's more sharks. We didn't even know there's a lot more there than there is in Massachusetts. I think that's the center of the whole North Atlantic white shark puzzle. Mm hmm. And so the ability to be agile, right, to not just be someone who works in one place on one thing, because then it leaves there and he he gets the same data set every year. You're not going to see when their hormones are different unless you're on them all across the year. Mm -hmm. Oh, hormones are spiking, mating. Volume of semen presence radically more here than where we were before, mating. The sperm are motile in the microscope right after we, you know, we know. Mm-hmm. Right. So the speed of learning, just like you'd operate a business, man, you know. And so when you bring it all together, it's like 30 times, maybe 40 times more efficient in the rate of learning. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the fundamental problem of data deficit in time, that's a transformational shift in the rate of data collection. It's not, you know, that's not one, you know, twice as much. You know, yeah. And because, but what that does is that sh- demonstrates that we, there is a system that can operate today that can develop the data sets for us that we need before it's too late. Because right now we're learning so slow, we're going to learn, but we're going to be so far down the toilet bowl, we can't bring it back. We're not, cre- we're not getting the data. Those quick sound enough. like two different stories though, because it sounds like you've got, you've, you've got the information, right? You've got no, the information. Right, and but you what have... I'm talking about is the disruption of the system outside of our, our little niche 
we are proving a model that you can radically accelerate the rate of learning and we can learn in time. Mm. All we need to do is basically include everyone and give everything away. Yeah. (laughs) And collaborate. Yeah. Right. Open it up. It's like share the information. Right. But it's it's ancient system academia. Mm -hmm. Slow moving. We don't have the time to change at that rate anymore. We just don't have the time because it'll be too late before we figure it out. Right. And we're proving that model. That's a big play. That's what really going. I mean, if we can share the model with people in other spaces, open source the model. So everyone in their respective, they will all have more capacity to do more good faster. And that could really be the biggest impact that OSearch makes on the planet. We are going to figure, you know, solve the shark puzzle. We're going to win that one. That's going to make an impact. Mm-hmm. But if we can share the model of OSearch, so everyone else's capacity skyrockets at that rate then the aggregate impact on the planet could, that could be the most significant thing I think we do. I had some questions up on the, uh, up in front of me for this um, episode, for this conversation. And that might've been, you know, two of them are the future and success, right? And you just, you just defined that. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken. The, yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. It's the, it's the O-Search model across everyone who's passionate in a space about making an impact to in, radically increase their capacity and impact. It's all about impact. Fish sandwiches. Fish sandwiches. That is a, I think, never never before heard chronological delivery of this incredible adventure and and, uh, journey that you've been on, my friend. Yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, it is good. You know, it's always thinking forward, right? (laughs) I don't really celebrate the past. You know, it's like my dad, you just, you got up. My parents, man, were awesome. Yeah. You know, you got to live in the biggest room in the world. An inch is a cinch. A yard is hard. Don't nothing's impossible. Just grind. You know, you can do that. Anybody can do that. That's just a mental thing. And you know, be willing to lay it out there if you're really passionate about it. But I, I and I, I'm excited about the future because I think you know it's much harder to have gotten where we are now to, than where we're going to go. I mean, I think the future is a mosquito fleet of boats. Uh, that we've already designed one. We keep the same ship that we have now because it's a symbol and it can operate in the North Atlantic, in the Caribbean, in the Med. Right. Um, but it's inefficient to move it around the world. So you're looking at a mosquito fleet of boats that you then move, or, you know, you can send them somewhere. Instead of a $12 million ship, it's a $1 million boat that brings the practical and academic together in that community. It can rescue whales off the beach and manatees. It can pick a shark up. And for a shark group, you know, we can go catch fish. And, and have OSEARCH really bring the practical and the academic together on the water so that we're getting the best data as quick as we can mm-hmm. and open source it all and include everyone so it's all by the people, for the people. People are lifelong philanthropists now. You've totally changed their, you know, democratization of the space and, you know, they were going to buy it anyway. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, here's what makes me laugh. Uh, when I was thinking like, what, what would be a good name of a podcast? And I thought, geez, I'm so curious about so many things. And so, you know, okay, all things big and small. I started thinking about that. And then my, my older daughter said, how about ATBS, the podcast? And so that's where we are right now. But, and I said, and I've worked on the introduction of this whole thing because we haven't dropped this yet. This will be one of the early episodes that we dropped for sure. And I thought to myself, yeah, you know, like some things are going to be small and hard to grasp and very, very uh, familiar to a lot of people. Some things are going to be so damn big that 
it just kind of blows your mind, right? In some ways, I hope that people that are listening as I am, like we've spent a lot of time over with big chunks of time in between, right? But it always blows my mind. And it doesn't matter if we were out on the upper Provo River and you'd been digging around and figuring out what the fish populations are doing while you've got, you know, that was in the middle of all of these other stories, right? That it's always blown my mind. So all things big, this is big, right? And spectacular. And, uh, you know, before we sign off, you know, your knowledge, your humility, um, your passion is phenomenal, right? Like if people out there listening sends chills up my spine, I hope that some of the audience are young people. I got a daughter in college and a daughter in high school. And, you know, I hope that if you're listening, man, that like this is passion and, all the things that you talked about, right? The biggest room is the room for improvement and just slow and steady. Well, and the special sauce at the end is anything's possible if you do not care who gets the credit. Love that. Love that. Chris Fisher, man, thanks for coming by and spending time with me on ATBS, the podcast. And, and uh, I think we covered so much ground. Uh, I'm so glad that you were able to just freestyle and let it, and let it roll. It seems to me like we probably have some other conversations to have. I look forward to it. Yeah, man. Me too, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for spending your time and listening to ATBS, the podcast. I really appreciate you. Wow, I was so inspired when Chris and I recorded this a few months ago, and I'm equally inspired as I record this outro on June 1st. Thank you, Chris, for going deep and sharing your O-Search journey with me and my listeners. I encourage you to check out O-Search at osearch.org. They've got the Shark Tracker. You can follow them on Instagram. They've got a great app. They're doing tremendous science, wonderful education, lots of ways to check them out. Chris and OSearch are indeed doing good work for the world and including the world in the work. And right now, feels like we could use a lot more of that. Be well, be kind. <laughs>